Thank you so much, uh, Rachel. It's so good to see so many of you here tonight. If you want to grab a Bible, you will find one in the back of your chairs. And uh, tonight we are going to look at Mark's Gospel, chapter 1, verses 14 to 20. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little further, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat, preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. I want to talk to you today about how to make use of your time most effectively. If like me, I wonder if there are times when you find yourself thinking, if only I had more time, a little bit more time to read that book that you haven't yet started on your bedside table, a little bit more time to visit those friends that you haven't seen for a long time, a little bit more time for those work deadlines that are looming, a little bit more time to prepare that summer vacation. Amidst the busyness and the rush of London life, everyone wants more time. It's a fight to get more time. And we can become obsessed with it. We go on time management courses. Our time is precious. A few weeks ago, uh, I started doing a little bit more running, uh, trying to keep fit. And, uh, you know, it's kind of fun running and all that kind of thing. But in the past when I've tried it, I've never really been motivated to do it. But this time it was different. And the reason it was different was because I discovered something called Strava. Now, I don't know if anybody uses Strava, maybe just, yeah, fantastic, one or two people, the others are not really uh, admitting it, Um, but the reality is Strava, if you don't know, it's a GPS tracking system that you can use to track your run, it shows you what route you've done, how far you've run, and also the time it takes for you to do your run. The other great thing about Strava is that you can follow other people who are on Strava, And other people on Strava can follow you. So you can discover a whole community of people in your area who are running the same routes. And effectively, it's just a massive competition for everybody who lives in the same area to see how fast you can run. When I used to do running, I used to kind of jog along pretty leisurely. I'd sort of see people walking along or walking their dogs, whatever it might be. And I used to sort of smile and jog by. Now I've got Strava. I see those people as the enemy. They are standing in the way of me getting a personal best. I did actually hear that apparently those who use Strava, some of them are actually shouting as they run if somebody's in their way, Strava, Strava, so people will know that actually they need to clear the way because their time is precious. Our time is precious, but the reality was we all only have 24 hours in a day. You can make more money but you can't make more time. So how do we use our time most effectively? 
One of the things that strikes me about this passage is that Jesus understands the importance of time. Jesus, he used his time to proclaim the kingdom of God. To proclaim the good news of God. With the things that he said, with the life that he lived, the good news that the love of God had come. That there was forgiveness. There was freedom available for people. The word good news in the New Testament, it's used sort of 52 times. It's the Greek word evangelion. And it's literally the word where we get our word evangelism. It's good news. Good news travels fast. And I don't think it's an accident that it occurs 52 times. It's a great reminder for us. A calling to tell people about Jesus every week of the year. But Jesus said the time has come. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. See, Jesus invested his time in what was most important. He made his number one priority telling people about the kingdom of God, the good news of God. And not only was it important for Jesus, but it was also urgent. I'm sure many of you are aware of uh, Stephen Covey. Stephen Covey wrote a, a famous book called Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. I'm sure you've read it because you all look like very, very highly effective people. Uh, But in his famous book, Stephen talks about his time management matrix. And essentially, this matrix describes uh, important tasks versus urgent tasks. So he puts it into a quadrant and he says we have our important and non-important tasks and our urgent and non-urgent tasks. And very simply put, he effectively says that many of us, we, by default, spend a lot of our time on non-important, non-urgent tasks. Maybe those emails that don't really matter. Maybe taking a bit of time surfing on the net, just meandering around the internet. Maybe a little bit of time on social media. Kind of non-important, non-urgent. And what he says is that actually we want to spend more time, if we're to be efficient, in the urgent, important quadrant. If you hear a baby crying and you're a parent, what do you do? You act immediately. Not only is it important, but you think, this is urgent, I've got to move. If the smoke detector starts going off in your house, you do something quickly about it. It's important And it's urgent. See, Mark's gospel, out of all the four gospels, it has this great sense of speed and activity about it. He conveys the importance and the urgency of communicating the good news of Jesus. The word immediately in Mark's gospel occurs 40 times. It's talking about Jesus's proactivity, his activity, the things that he does, Jesus taking the initiative. And it seems in this passage that John the Baptist being put in prison moves Jesus's mission to not only being important, but also being urgent. 
You see, as long as John the Baptist was proclaiming the good news, Jesus could bide his time. He could hold back. But as soon as John has been put in prison, as soon as, as it were, the, the, the message of the kingdom of God is being hushed or quieted, Jesus knows that this is his time to act. I'm sure many of you will know that in the New Testament there are two Greek words for time. The first one, uh, chronos, where we get our simple word, chronological time. And then the second word, kairos. It literally means strategic opportunity or a decisive moment in time. This was Jesus' kairos moment. This was his decisive opportunity. This is the word that Mark uses here in this gospel. It's a strategic time for Jesus. Many of us have been praying in the lead up to this leadership conference and we've been sensing as a team that this is a kairos moment for us as a church, a strategic defining opportunity for us. Thousands of people gathering together in the heart of London, perhaps one of the most iconic venues in the world, to put Jesus at the center again. The worship of Jesus right at the heart of our city. And we've been sensing, praying together as a staff, senior team, an urgency again for evangelism, for some new breakthrough, for a sense of our passion for evangelism and mission being reignited, seeing people outside the church coming to faith. I wonder where you're at today. I suspect that many of us, we, we wouldn't have a problem seeing this as important, but actually do we see it as being urgent? Just before midnight on April the 14th, 1912, the Titanic hit an iceberg causing it to sink, resulting in the loss of 1,517 lives. We all know about this huge tragedy. But actually, what's more tragic about that story is that actually it could have been completely avoided. The Titanic didn't sink because it hit an iceberg. The Titanic sunk because of complacency. How, how is that possible? Well, firstly, the captain, he didn't heed the iceberg warnings. He had this false sense of security after being told that the Titanic was unsinkable. It was unthinkable that that ship could ever hit an iceberg and go down. The second thing was poor planning. They had too few lifeboats. They thought it would spoil the aesthetic features of the ship. Thirdly, poor organization. Once they were in that emergency situation, they waited too long before they evacuated, thinking that the leak could be contained. You see, in some way, it was important, but it hadn't become urgent. Now, I'm not saying that the Titanic is like the church. I believe that the church is the body of Christ. I believe that nothing will stand in its way. I believe that the gates of hell, hell will not prevail against it. 
But I just wonder if there are maybe one or two tiny similarities. Maybe there are some lessons that we can learn from this story. I heard a tragic statistic this week that by 2033, the number of people attending Anglican churches will be an invisible statistic. That's not okay with me. I really hope that that's not okay with us. But the reality is I know that I can become a little bit complacent. I can have a false sense of security. One of the things I love the most amongst many things as part of my job here at HDB is I get the privilege of getting a bird's eye view on a Sunday of all of our four sites and our ten services. And it's amazing to see our services either full or filling up. It's, it's absolutely amazing. Often I think the church is like this sleeping giant that just needs waking up. I believe that's why Jesus says, now is the time. In this story, he calls Simon and Andrew and James and John. It says, without delay. It says, at once they left their nets and followed him. In fact, they didn't just leave their nets. They pretty much left everything behind. Their family, their father Zebedee, their livelihood, their security. They left their comfort. Now is the time. And Jesus says, come, follow me. My encouragement to you tonight is that if you've heard Jesus say to you, come, follow me, and you haven't made that step of faith towards him, do it tonight. Don't delay. This is your Kairos moment of opportunity. I know for me, I was 14 years old. Lots of different ways. I was at a little conference down in the southwest of the country. And that was the moment where I sensed God saying to me, come, follow me. Like these disciples, I wasn't really expecting it. I tried to avoid it. I thought the last thing I want to do is work full time for the church at that point. I wanted to be a doctor. I wanted to play professional football, anything but work for the church. But I knew that God was calling me. It may be that you're here tonight and you've sensed a similar kind of call. Maybe God is calling you to ordination. Maybe he's calling you to leadership in his church in some way. Maybe he's calling you tonight to invite somebody like Stephen was saying earlier. Start now. That's the first thing that we learn from this passage. Start now. The second thing that we see in this passage is start small. Verse 16 says, As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother casting a net into the lake. For they were fishermen. You may hear some of that information about the church in this country. And you may feel intimidated. You might think, what difference can I make? How do we turn the tide on this? It's like looking at a mountain thinking, where, where do I start? Actually, even Jesus said, look at the fields. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. I think he even felt a sense of enormous responsibility about the work that needed to be done. But look how Jesus starts. He starts small. It starts with a simple conversation, a simple invitation. He says, come, follow me. 
He gives them an invitation to new life, new perspective, new priorities, ultimately a new future. Jesus takes these men in this story, he takes people and he changes them, he raises them up. And in this passage, he he uses these men so that they might change the entire course of history. When I was at school, I had a a friend called Paul, and Paul was in the year above me, and um, we knew each other pretty well. Uh, We used to play in the same football team together, and one day we had a fixture on the Saturday, and it was an away game, and the school had organized a coach for us uh, to take to the match. We happened to be sitting together, and we got chatting on the coach, and of course, Paul said to me, oh, what are you doing at the weekend? And I... I kind of knew something about Paul's background. I knew that he had quite a tumultuous upbringing. His dad was an alcoholic. His mum suffered from uh, depression. It was quite challenging for him. And I, I don't know really why I did it, but before I could sort of gather the words back in my mouth, I sort of said, oh, actually, um, our church is running this event tomorrow night at the school. Do you want to come? Not really thinking that he would sort of say anything. And to my surprise, he said, oh, yeah, I'll come to that. So the next day came, he came to my house about five o'clock in the evening. We went together to this church event. And again, to my utter amazement, he that night heard the message, the good news of Jesus, and he became a Christian. He gave his life to Jesus. And Paul and I, we've stayed friends. Uh, I was his best man. He was my best man, all of that kind of stuff. And that was 25 years ago, which makes me sound very old. But I saw him on Saturday at a wedding, and it's amazing to see him. He's now been married for nearly 20 years. He's got three amazing children, really healthy family life. Uh, He's a pastor in the Vineyard Church. Uh, He and his wife have recently planted a church in Northern Ireland uh, with the vineyard. They're seeing people come to faith. You see, Jesus did an amazing thing in his life so that he could do an amazing thing through his life, using him in a powerful way. And it started with a conversation. You see, a seemingly insignificant instruction turned out to be a life-changing invitation. Jesus engaged with these disciples, and he didn't choose them for who they were. He chose them for what he wanted to do through them. They were ordinary people, ordinary lives, ordinary jobs, ordinary stuff, just like the ordinary people that we come into contact with every day. It all starts with a conversation. It all starts with taking those opportunities. In 2015, the Church of England commissioned a survey asking 3,000 UK adults about their perception of Jesus, Christian, Christians, and the church. And you may be surprised to hear that the statistics and the results were remarkably positive. Uh, the first thing is that 67% of people know a practicing Christian. 67% of people know a practicing Christian. Only 1% know a church leader. What that means is the task of evangelism cannot be left up to church leaders. We are the ones with the opportunity to invite people, to talk to people. 
But sadly, this survey showed that only 5% of Christians share their faith. One of the questions that these people were asked is, if there was a small group of people who all knew nothing about the Christian faith but wanted to know more, would you be prepared to attend such a group? I find this startling. 53% of the people said yes. They would be willing to attend a small group to discuss more about Jesus. I think that's massive. That's every other person that we come into contact with. That's every other conversation. Our friends, our family, our work colleagues. Rumor has it there's a small group in a church near you. We heard it earlier, Alpha starting 16th of May in the morning and the evening. It's a great opportunity to invite our friends, those that we know. What an encouragement. 53% of people said that they'd be willing to come. Every other conversation that you have, one out of two and a little bit more, they'd say, yes, I'll go to that. I want to check that out. So start now. Start small. And finally, start where you are. Jesus says, come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men and women. He takes the disciples as they are, where they are. We don't need to fear. We don't need to worry because he, he will make us. He will help us. He's with us in this process. Jesus wants to take our everyday lives and make them into an adventure. He says here, I will make you fishers of men. He was talking to fishermen. He could just as easily have said to doctors, follow me and I will make you heal the brokenness in this world. He could have spoken to farmers, follow me and you will grow the kingdom of God. He could have said to electricians, follow me and you will rewire the world. He could have said to parents, Follow me and you will care and nurture new life. Wherever you are, whatever sphere of influence you are in, however you spend your time, Jesus is calling you tonight to follow him, to use your resources, your talents, your skills, most of all your time to build the kingdom of God. And I know that many of you are doing this in amazing ways. There's one of the things I love, amongst many things I love about working for this church, that you are an amazing church. You're, you have a huge confidence in inviting people to Alpha, to Sunday services, to different events, to courses. Seeing people come to faith. I'm inspired and, and challenged by it. At the moment, I'm most inspired and challenged by my own son in my family he's nearly 16 years old and to be honest at school he gets quite a lot of stick for me being a vicar I think they think that I walk around in funny clothing well I kind of do but you know (laughs) different funny clothing but just with a gentle boldness my 16 year old son Jack he's inviting his friends he said to me the other day "Oh, I I wanted to invite this guy because I, I just sensed it was the right thing to do He was sensing the prompting of the Holy Spirit. He was just trying to be obedient. He didn't know what the outcome was going to be. He didn't know what that was going to necessarily lead to. But it it takes tremendous courage in his school 
with his football teammates that he plays with on the weekend to invite them, to get them to come. It reminds me of the feeding of the 5,000 when Jesus says to his disciples, just put all those people in rows, get them to sit on the grass. You know, we kind of overlook that bit of the story because we know the outcome of the story. Oh yeah, Jesus is going to take some loaves and some fishes and he's going to bless them and he's going to multiply it and then he's going to feed a multitude. Yeah, great story and we're going to be reading that story all throughout the generations. But at the time, the disciples didn't know that was going to happen. All they knew was that Jesus is telling us to get everybody to sit down in rows. And yet they did it. They followed his call. He called them to step out and they did it. And that's what he's inviting us into. Three of my son's friends who've come over the last few weeks, one of them said, it feels like I found family for the very first time. Another one of Jack's friends said, you know, 15-year-old young lad, he said, I feel like I've been given a second chance in life. And somebody who came last week from a slightly different sort of religious background, he said, all this time I thought it was all just about religion. But for the first time, I've encountered what it means to know Jesus personally. The amazing thing about that guy was that he texted my son this week And the text went something like, "Um, I haven't heard from you this week. Um, You probably don't want me to come again. And Jack was like, oh, Dad, what do you think I should do? I was like, well, just tell him and say you can come again. He's like, he didn't realize that he could come again. He He thought he needed another text to be invited. I bumped into a one family on the common near where we live. And we were talking a little bit. They asked me what I did. I said, I work for the church. And they said, oh, that's interesting. I said, well, do you go to church? They said, well, I've been to a couple of family services. I said, oh, why have you only been to family services? They said, well, we're a family. So we've only been to the family services. I said, no, 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 you can go to the other services as well. You see, they didn't realize It needs us to invite them and to draw them in. It's such fun. It's so infectious. One of my other sons, my younger son, he's he's so inspired by his older brother who's doing this. At the dinner table, we were chatting about it, and he said, Mum, how do I invite my friends? And my wife, Emily, said, well, it's kind of simple. You just, you pray, and then pray and ask for an opportunity, and then you invite them. So we prayed. And he sent his friend a text message. And he's come to the 4.30 today. Simple. Easy. You know, it's fun. It's infectious to invite our friends. We have the greatest privilege of inviting men and women, young and old, to a party that is out of this world. In a few weeks' time, we're going to be celebrating a royal wedding You do not know, well, if you haven't read about it, you may have read about it, but there is so much work, effort, time, money that goes into those invitations. A few people are probably thrilled that they've been given an invitation to this royal wedding. We have the invitation to the royal weddings of royal weddings. In the future, we will be seeing our friends, our family, our work colleagues at the wedding banquet of the Lamb. We have good news to tell people. News that will transform lives, transform communities, transform society. 
But if you're anything like me, you're probably thinking, oh, I can't do that in my own strength. What if I invite someone? What are they going to say? They're going to think I'm weird. They don't know I'm a Christian. Are they going to unfollow me on social media? What's going to happen? But we need the Holy Spirit to fill us and send us out. We need a fresh confidence in the good news of Jesus. We need a new compassion for people. And we need courage to invite them into this great story of Jesus Christ. Imagine what could happen if rather than 5% of us shared our faith, 100% of us went out, went after those 67%, and we invited them in. Imagine what God could do. It's important. It's urgent. In Jesus' name. Amen.